Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. We are up. Branch, welcome to my podcast. How's it going, man? How you doing tonight? Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me on. I've been looking forward to our time together. Yeah, so just to kind of kick us off and everything, you know, um, I think I read that you've wrote, written 22 books. You're an author. You're a poet, obviously, a storyteller. And where did all this come about? How did it happen? I mean, did you come out the womb writing? Where did it all start at? <laughs> Not at all. You know, if if anyone had ever told me that I was going to be a, a writer or an author, I'd be the last person to think about that. Um, it just, uh, it evolved. You know, I, I did a lot of early writing, um, not academic, when I was in sales and marketing in corporate world. And that sort of got me started in the uh, technical aspects, you know, the mechanics of it. And then about midlife, I had my midlife crisis. Oh, but instead instead of buying a Corvette, I decided that I I wanted to go back to school, and so I, I went back to uh, college again and and got another degree. And in the midst of my studies and and that coursework, uh, I was compelled to write my first book, and and so that's how it came about, and. Um, I thought, okay, well, this is great, and it's done. And then one day I was I was living in Hawaii at the time, and I was sitting out at a gazebo that we had in the backyard, looking out across at the big island and uh, the volcano and stuff. And I had a I thought, God, what would it, what would you feel? What would go through your head if you were lost at sea? Mm. And the, and sort of the the frightening things of course the fear and then of course uh if you knew you were probably not going to be rescued you know how would you uh, contend with your thoughts about your life and so that's that's how my first um short story poem came about and for some reason it just kept you know they just kept coming out and so 25 years later and 22 books later here we are so, I mean, that's some pretty deep thoughts. I mean, have you always just kind of had those thoughts or was that just, you know, like you just said, like you were just kind of looking out and that just kind of sparked, you know, what sort of you're inspired by just what you're looking at the volcano and just started thinking like that? Or was it just, you know, where did it come from? Just because I, I tend to always, I like conversations like that. And I always tend to, because they're not, 
what's the word? About? They're not sexy subjects, you know, they're kind of deep thoughts and not everybody wants to hear that type of stuff. I mean, is that just kind of what stuff you think about all the time or what? Well, that's a great question. Um, you know, it's interesting you should bring that up. I, I just read an article the other day and it said the average person has 60,000 thoughts a day. Okay. And, and of course, most of our energy, our, our thinking and our energy, mental energy is on getting through our day, right? Um, doing better at work, doing better at home, all of those kind of tasks that we have in our daily life. And, but I think everybody, you know, has times when they think those deeper thoughts and, and you start to contemplate, you know, what's my life about? Uh, what am I doing? Who am I? Where do I fit in? And those kind of things. And so uh, I think it's not unnatural that everybody is in that place at some point. Sure. Um, I, I was in a situation, you know, in an environment where it was conducive, obviously, in, living in Hawaii, uh, so beautiful, you know, nature all around you all the time. So you, you, have that opportunity to go a little bit deeper when you're thinking about, you know, how do I interact with my my nature and where I'm living? So, you know, as I've continued to write, that's um, that's just become part of the process because my writing now and, and my podcast and, and my mentoring and teaching is about balance and growth to promote healthy relationships, you know, to to be more aware and more attuned with your personal life, your career life, and your spiritual life. And so that kind of direction automatically has you thinking about, um, you know, how do I interact with these relationships that I have in my life at home, at work, you know, with myself and with my beliefs. So it, it just, you know, it's evolution, I think. Um, the writing gives you an opportunity, obviously, to expound upon those things, whether it's for yourself mm -hmm. or, you know, whether it's for others through publication. But, uh, you know, the writing and the thinking leads you in a lot of different kinds of directions. So it's just, for me, it was an evolutionary process. I was never thought of myself as an author or had intended that as a career. Yeah, that's one of the good things. You know, I've, you know I'm not a writer by any means, but... I have been trying to journal here and there and that just journaling and getting your thoughts out, you know, even if you're not telling, you know, your best friend or, you know, guardian, whatever you want to say, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, you're at least getting your thoughts out. And that kind of does give you some sense of, I guess, peace is what I'm trying to relief. Maybe just that you are getting, you know, you're exerting these thoughts out and sorry, my dog's got his ball right now. And so it's getting annoying, but anyway, <laughs> um, but anyway, but yes, yeah, so it's, like, it's a good thing about writing and journaling for those who don't even get to do it, that it's another exercise to learn more about yourself and learn like, hey, you know, maybe I have all these thoughts in my head, but maybe I can spill them out on paper and they start to make a little bit more sense, you know, and learn like that self-awareness and stuff like that. Is that correct? You think? Exactly. You got it right on the head there. Self-awareness, you know, and that's why journaling and diaries are so important because it gives you that opportunity. You know, normally as we go through our day, a lot of times the conversation that's going on in our head 
is kind of all over the place. I mean, we're focused on, you know, a specific task or a specific interaction that we're having, but we always have that conversation, you know, going on within. And when you sit down to journal or to write or to keep a diary, it helps you focus in on a particular thought and where that thought leads you. You know, it's it's difficult to jump around mentally if you're engaged in the activity of writing. And it gives you that opportunity for self-reflection. And that self-reflection gives you that opportunity to go a little bit deeper mm. into whatever that thought is. You know, and then the deeper you go, you start to see the relationship between your thoughts about that particular person or relationship or whatever it may be, and the actions that come as a consequence of the thoughts, right? You know, when everything that we do begins with a thought, and our thoughts then become actions if we give them power. Sure. And our actions become our habits if we continually you know, process and build upon them, and that our habits become our character. And when we have that power of character, that can change our destiny and that can change our future. And that's the power of thought. Uh, you know, like I said, we, we have about 60,000 thoughts a day. Yeah. Now you know why you're so tired at night. <laughs> but the, the interesting thing about it, Chris, is you know, the Lord gave us a brain that works like a supercomputer. And even though we can change thoughts literally at the speed of thought, you know, instantaneously, mm -hmm. the interesting thing is we can only focus on a single thought at a time. You know, I can drive down the street. I can be driving my vehicle. I can be listening to the radio. I can be paying attention to the things around me. And I can be thinking about something, you know, at work or at home. The interesting thing about that is all the tasks that I'm doing, my focus can only be on one thought at a time. And so by changing that thought, I can change the totality of who I am and where I'm going. So that's the power of thought. You can change your thoughts. And when you can change your thoughts, and your actions and your habits and your character that gives you the power to change your future, to mm. change your destiny. Do you think a lot of, and I think, how do I want to word this? Maybe a lot of younger generations, younger, I'm a young 36, so maybe younger than me, people are still trying to explore who they are and who they, you know, want to be in this life. And that, you know, you know, sometimes they get a bad hand of uh life cards, I guess you could say in that, you know, oh no, this is how life is going to be just because this is the cards I've dealt with and I don't know how to overcome this. And they make like failure as a, who they are, defines who they are, instead of actually trying to kind of what you're saying, like change these thoughts and be like, no, failure doesn't define me just because I failed at this one thing. Maybe it was a humbling experience. Maybe it was a experience I needed to have just to learn more about myself and or whatever. But I mean, do you think a lot of even young, yeah, just younger generations just struggle with stuff like that? Well, we all struggle with it. Right. I mean, that's, you know, growth. Life is about growth and balance. And the more balance we have, the more we're able to identify opportunities. And then, you know, based on our past experience, extrapolate the possible outcome on the future. 
what you've said about younger people, we all go through because A, we don't have a lot of life experience, and B, however we've been raised or socialized or educated is the foundation of what we know, right? And so when we fail at something or when we are rejected in a relationship, it can take a lot out of us, you know, yeah. because everything at that age is very personal. You know, my relationships are are important. My career is important. My job is important. My family is important. And there's only so much time in the day. But in our 20s and our 30s and our 40s, you know, we are on a path to basically get ahead, to provide for ourselves and our families and whatever that might look like. And at the same time, we're being confronted by all kinds of choices, by all kinds of decisions, and by all kinds of opportunities, mm-hmm. you know, to, to make a choice. And out of that choice will come a consequence. And so with age and maturity and experience, you start to see the patterns in life and you start to realize, you know, when I made this similar choice before, it turned into a success. And when I made this other choice before, it wasn't a success. Yes. So my choice now is which one of those do I want to repeat in the future? And the people who succeed are the people who choose you know, that success from their past. They know what worked before, so they try that again and build upon that. The the person who finds themselves continually failing hasn't learned how to grow through that experience. So they, they keep making that same choice, and it keeps, you know, even when they see the red flags, for whatever reason, they make that choice and the outcome is not what they, you know, desire or had anticipated. The, the next problem with that kind of a path, if you're on that path, is when we fail or when we're rejected, um, you know, the next thing a lot of people do is we beat ourselves up about it, oh, right? Yeah. And we start oh, yeah. to dwell on that. And, yeah. you know, that keeps us in that place. It keeps a grasp on us. You know, if you, you listen to a lot of podcasts, about people's success, what you find is they try and learn from the failure and put that, you know, put that aside and work on the things, the strengths they have that help them succeed. Of course. Uh, And that, you know, it's like you got to drop that old baggage at some point and there's no time like the present. So, you know, if you're, if you're making choices that are not in your best interest, then you need to learn how to not go to that place again. Yeah. And and that takes time. It, it takes experience. It takes, you know, relationships. Um, when you get out of a relationship, instead of thinking about, you know, the negative things that you experience, think about the positive things. And what that does, it helps you realize in the next relationship, you know, if I see this kind of behavior and I recognize it as a red flag, then I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to be in that kind of situation again. And the more you can do that, the more you can take the good things from relationship to relationship, whether it's, you know, at work or at home, or if you're in a dating situation, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you take the good things forward into the next relationship and that's how you continue to grow. Yeah. 
Yeah, you're hitting right there at home with me just because I feel like, you know, trial and error and learning from your mistakes has kind of just been the the theme of, you know, my life here so far. And just and I didn't really understand that until probably after college, just because I don't know, I guess I wasn't that self-aware of myself. And I just thought, you know, we were talking about the cards that you're dealt with. I mean, I was like, well, this is what life is. And I'll just kind of go along with it and to see what happens. But, you know, about changing your thoughts and learning from your mistakes, it just it was one of those things that just started to occur to me is to say, Hey, it doesn't have to be this way. You know, it's my decisions and what I'm doing that I can change it for the better. And that, and I, and I, and it's good now. And like what you just said, like, you know, you go, you find yourself in a certain situation. You're like, Oh, I don't like this. Or you do like this. And okay, okay. This sucked this time, but I'm going to remember next time not to do this just to help, you know, just with my mental health or just me and myself in general. But I wonder if it was also because that, you know, I was one of those people who doesn't like to say no to anybody, right? I was maybe like a people pleaser, just, you know, because you didn't want to be the bad guy. And there was always, you know, certain situations where I always felt like you're always, you know, I guess damned if you did and damned if you didn't, right? So it was just like, well, I'll just go ahead and just suffer through this and hopefully get through it. Then maybe next time I can, uh, you know, fix it in some sort of fashion or whatever. But, you know, and but for me, like learning just to say no was very powerful stuff. Uh-oh. Yeah, exactly. You, you you have to figure out, you know, how you employ your boundaries. Um, and what you said is very apropos for most of us. You know, we all grow up in situations where we want to please. Um, you know, first, we want to please our parents. Yes. And our family. And then we want to please our peers. And then as we age and grow into the world, we want to um, please the world you know, at large, or, or at least our world. And so a lot of times we think that automatically means say yes to everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, if you look around at the real top echelon people in any endeavor, they understand the power of no. And the thing about no is you have to have conviction behind that word and in that conviction, you have to have self-confidence, right? And a lot of people who are in the situation you just described, where it's very difficult for them to say no, and so they automatically want to please. You know, people pleasers, you hear this from a lot of females that of they finally find out that they've been living their life, you know, trying to fix everything for everybody in their life. And... That ties into whatever our insecurity is that we brought from childhood. And, and this is why grappling or finding out and coming to grips with whatever your insecurity may be. Um, I, I'm too short. I'm too fat. I'm too bald. You know, I'm too skinny. I'm not smart enough. Whatever that negative self-doubt feeling you have, as long as you feed it, it will continue to be there. And that's where that conversation takes place in our minds. You know, um, I did this wrong. Why did I do it wrong? Why do I always do it wrong? Mm-hmm. And this, this self-doubt beating ourselves up keeps us in that place. And it gives power to our insecurity. Once we discover that, you know, I'm as tall as I'm going to be. I'm not going to grow any taller. Um, you know, my balding head is my balding head. Okay, that's not the end of the world. So how do I work with that? 
how do I use that as a strength or how do I at least accept it? And in accepting who we are, that again, gives us that opportunity to put that aside and continue to grow with what are my strengths? You know, what can I do that works for me? You know, when I do um, presentations and, and workshops and stuff, I ask everybody why they came, right? And the first group comes for an answer. The second group comes for a solution. And the third group comes for a result. And I, I always tell the first group, okay, for those of you who came for the answer, here it is. Be prepared. Be prepared for success. Be prepared for failure. Be prepared for love. You know, be prepared for indifference. You've sure. got to be prepared in every situation for both outcomes, positive outcome and the not so positive or the negative outcome. And if you're prepared, then very quickly you get on a path where you can learn from the outcome. Like we've said before, you know, you start, nothing succeeds like success is the old axiom. So you build upon the success and you don't go back to the place where the fallout is negative. Mm -hmm. You know, for those people who come for the solution, then you learn what the steps of the process are that the outcome is in your best interest. And for the people who come for the result, they look in the mirror the next day and begin anew. And you know, you always are looking, you know, there's um, four blockchain elements of success, whether it's in your career or your personal life. The first one is stability. The second one is motion. The third one is direction. And the fourth one is applied power. Now, let me give you an example of what I mean. You go down to the dock and you're going to buy a sailboat, right? Right. And there's four identical sailboats side by side. You get on the first one and it doesn't have a keel. That is a flat bottom. Well, it has no stability. So the minute you step onto it, it starts to wobble. The second one has a keel. So it has the stability and it has sails. So you put up the sails and the wind catches you and takes you and you have forward motion now. But because you don't have any steering mechanism, you just go where the wind blows. Uh-oh, no direction. The third one, the third boat has not only a keel and sails, but it also has a rudder or a steering mechanism. So now you've got the stability, you've got the power to go with the wind, but you also have an ability to steer where you want to go. So you have direction. The fourth boat has all of those three, but it also has an outboard motor. So now you have applied power. No matter whether the wind is blowing or not, you can continue to move forward. And these four blockchain elements of success allow you to do that in every situation or in every relationship. So keep those in mind and make sure there's some stability, you've got motion, you've got direction, and you've got power. And that's how you keep moving forward on the path that you've chosen. Mm. 
it's good stuff right there. I like that. Uh, but and kind of t- touching on that though, do you think people are also scared of success? You know, they've failed so much at their life or whatever, and whatever they've been trying to do, then they start to become successful, and then they're just comes too much anxiety i guess for certain people i guess just generally speaking and they're scared that okay i'm number you know at the top of my game right now the only place i can the only thing that can happen is i can fall back to where i started at and it just you know they're scared of all the things that come with success does that kind of make sense what i'm saying oh we all are scared of something okay um we come into this world frightened we know nothing we are nothing and uh, you know, our four essential life skills are these, and this is so important for people who are in relationships, either at work or at home. The first one is love. Everyone craves love. We all have the capacity to give love, and we have the capacity to receive love. The second one is approval. You know, we all crave approval. Like I said before, first from our parents and our family then from our peers, and then from the world that we exist in. Of course. The third one is agenda, and this gets to what you're describing. You know, everybody who comes into your life has an agenda. They want something from you, um, good, bad, or ugly, on your path. Um, A lot of people miss this point. They don't realize that the people who are coming into their lives have an agenda. They have a need to help you or use you or abuse you, depending on the situation. And because you're unaware of their agenda, that rejection that happens, that failure that happens is like a double dose, right? Um, Guy, I never thought you would do that to me. Of course. Kind of thing. And the result of that being unaware of their agenda to help or harm you is is such an emotion. It it can be such a weight on us um, that they did that to us when we least expected it. Um, That's what can hold us back. And, And that's when even success can be something that's, you know, frightful or scary. Um, Then we start to doubt our success and and then it's easier to go down that spiral the other way. And and once a person starts down that spiral, a lot of times the first thing they try to do is compensate for it with some kind of outside activity yeah. or uh, substance. You know, this is where people start abusing drugs, alcohol. You know, all of those kind of lifestyles. Um, it feeds into that because it gives us that momentary sense of relief and release and allows us to not look at the real situation of why did this person harm me the way they did? Mm-hmm. And what am I going to do about it now? Am I going to continue to allow them to do that? Or am I going to say no and put a stop to it? So that's why the agenda is so important. The last one is spiritual grounding. And this is the one that most people either miss or don't have. Um, it, we all know what religion is. Correct. Um, many people have had, you know, a religious experience, good, bad, or ugly, in their life. And some people, you know, are continuing on that religious path. Some people are not. 
The problem is we all have a spirit within us, but most of us, because it's not something of this world, it's not physical, it's not something that we can see and touch and taste and hear, it's on the back burner, right? So it's not an active part of our daily life. Because it's not an active part, we find ourselves in this constant struggle or the rat race of trying to get ahead with all of these choices and decisions. And we have all grown up in a society that has conditioned us to believe that our success is determined by fame and fortune. The further down that path we go, the more we get sucked into that belief, you know, that the world's ways, it's all about me and what's in it for me. And yeah. I don't care who I have to harm to get ahead. Um, there's always that seedling in the back of our mind and our conscience, which is our spirit talking to us, reminding us that the things we're doing sometimes are not in our best interest, even in our successes. Mm. And then we start with, you know, the guilt and the shame and the embarrassment and all of those kind of emotions. And without a spiritual grounding, without an active spirit working with us and for us, we sort of get sucked into the world and the world's ways. And as we all know, no matter what age you are, um, that's a tough place to be all the time mm -hmm. because we're always then in that place of judgment. You know, how am I being judged? What does that judgment look like? And what does that judgment do to me and for me? It, you know, nothing is simple in this life. It's all related. So when we're down, when we're depressed, you know, when we're not feeling our best or doing our best, it's easy for us to sometimes stay in that place. Yeah. And when we stay in that place, things get worse. And and that's where the challenge comes, you know. How can I how can I get out of this place and get back on a path that works for me and the choices I make are in my best interest? Mm. So it, it, it's not easy no. and the thing is we all experience it. These are the lessons of life that we all go through. You know, we think that, well, I'm the only one who's experiencing this or feeling this. The fact is, everyone at some point in their life yes. is in that same place, experiencing that same rejection and failure and, and delusion mm -hmm. that you're in right now. But we never think about it that way. We think, okay, well, I'm in this place now, and I'm the only one who's here. And uh, that's why, you know, Healthy relationships are so important. That's why being balanced in your life is so important. Yeah, that's one of the things I've said on here before, just that, you know, with podcasting and, you know, talking with people like yourself and other people who are going through, you know, X, Y, and Z, whatever it may be, that it's also good to actually hear that just because you know that you're not the only one going through whatever it is that you're going through. You know, if it's a down thing or if it's a success story or whatever, that you don't you know, there's other people out there who you can listen to and find out their trials and tribulations and know that they're here to help you in some fashion and, you know, get you from point A to point B to point C or wherever you want to go. And that, you know, it's just a better feeling overall for somebody to, oh, you know, you know, Branch is, he knows stuff about this, you know, and he, he's, I'm not the only one. There's other people out there who are, you know, you know, 
but wearing their heart on their shoulder, whatever the expression is that, you know, talking about all this stuff where it's just like, I don't have to keep it inside anymore. You know, I can actually, you know, change my ways and learn how to get better from just listening to people like yourself. That's what it seems like. And it seems like it's um, what you're doing with your podcast too. I, I think it was John Dunn that said, uh, no man is an island, right? We are creatures meant to be together. Uh, that's why whether at work or home, life is about relationships. It's about that interaction. It's about, you know, using your strengths to not only help yourself, but to help somebody else with their weaknesses. And that's why relationships are so critical to being healthy, being mentally healthy. Um, that's why your partner has to be somebody that you trust enough that you can be vulnerable, right? And, you know, the universe, Chris, the universe is always in balance. Uh, that's just the way it is. It's always in balance. And so that's ideally, that's where we would want to be, right? In balance. And balance is 50-50. So you're giving as much as you're getting. And that would be perfect balance. The, the problem or the issue is that that's not what life is like. We're, we're never in perfect balance because we are never static. The only time you're in perfect balance is when you're dead. Hmm. When you're alive, you're in always in dynamic movement, right? You're always in flux. So we're trying to get to that balance. And while we're trying to get there, all of these things that are going on in our life are trying to knock us off of that balance, trying to, you know, make us invest ourselves in it or them. Um, and when we do that investment, we are giving of ourselves. So we're trying to establish equilibrium, trying to establish a balance. And the only way you can do that successfully is whoever is in that interaction with you, your your spouse, your partner, your children, your team at work, you and your superior, your boss. The only way you can get that balance is to build upon each other's successes, build upon each other's strengths. You know, in work, people who are trying to backstab and undercut um, the other guy, all they're doing is diminishing the opportunity they have to succeed, right? If you're on a team at work, everybody is going to have input. And we always have, you know, the person who is the leader, um, yes. either designated or makes themselves the leader and tries to make everything about them and the way they want to do it. And at the other end of the curve, we always have the the meek, quiet person who really doesn't get involved, but is willing to do a lot of the legwork kind of things. Well, the good leader, you know, understands each member's strengths and each member's shortcomings. And so you try and build upon everyone's strength so that the group succeeds, the project gets done, and it's a success for you, the group, and the company. Um, that's where you have, you know, good leaders understand this concept of working everyone's strength in order to make everything go forward the way it's projected to. Sure. Uh, if you got per personalities in the group, you know, that have clashes and one-upmanship, all those kind of things, that's just life, you, you know. As, as a balanced person, you try and work with the balance that you see. Mm. And, and 
And even if the group fails, you can keep growing yourself. You know, um, ultimately, your production, whatever that looks like or whatever that scale or measure is, is what will keep you moving forward, you know, in your career or in your relationship. Was as when you were writing or when you are writing, and I know you know with the Texas State University, I know you got a master's at the University of Houston, and but you know, with your philosophy of keeping everything in balance, I mean, did that happen to you right then when you kind of figured that out while you're writing, or when did that come about just like through life experiences or what? Wow, um, yeah, life experiences, but it, you know, it didn't come to me until. I was in my fifties. Um, wow. You know, it's 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 understanding your world and understanding your place in your world, and and by that I mean in your family, in your neighborhood, you know, in your career. It's not about you in the global world so much. It's in my sphere of influence. You know, what am I contributing? And I found in my life that when I understood that healthy relationships are the result of balance, right? Mind, body, soul, and spirit. And when those things are all working together, when I'm in balance as an entity, as a human entity, then I see the world for what it is. This is why the spiritual aspect is so important. Look. If you are not spiritually grounded, meaning you don't have a spiritual relationship with a higher power mm -hmm. or something outside of yourself, then all of your focus is on how can I get ahead in this world, in my world, right? And just by growing and learning, we understand how to manipulate different things and different people in different situations. So am I manipulating the people and the situations in my life only for my own benefit, for my own success? Well, if I am, that tells me I'm not spiritually grounded, right? Because it's all about me and my world. Yeah. That means that my spirit that came with me from God, the creator, he was spirit. So all of his creation is in its essence spirit. So we each have a spirit within us that connects us to him. But because we're human, you know, that's our focus. That's the reality that we're raised in is this physical concrete world and all that it is about. Well, as long as my spirit is inactive, then my focus is always on it's all about me. What's in it for me? Mm -hmm. Once I activate my spirit, and for the Christian, that's when you invite Christ into your life. And when you do that, he says, I will send to you the spirit of truth. That's his Holy Spirit. And when he, you ask and he sends you his Holy Spirit, it kind of rebirths or re-sparks the spirit that's in you. And all of a sudden, you start to understand the truth in your world and in the world at large, right? Once you have that spirit active in you and in every situation you encounter, you see the truth of that situation 
of that person, of that relationship. And when you recognize the truth, now you automatically recognize the red flags, the falsehoods, the fabrications, and the lies. Mm -hmm. And now that you see the truth and you see the untruths, now you have a choice to make. You know, which path am I going to follow? Am I going to follow the path that I've been on that's all about me and what's in it for me and the world's things? Or am I going to follow this other path that allows me to recognize truth in my life, in my relationships, in my family, in my neighborhood? And when you choose the truth's path, what happens is, all of that negative energy that you've been grappling with in your life falls away because you recognize it as negative energy, as red flags. And in recognizing it, you automatically know that the consequence of that choice is not in your best interest. So you start making better choices that are in your best interest. And the negativity and the negative energy and the drama will go away. Why? Because you no longer allow it to be part of your life. Yeah. When that person who is trying to bring you down comes into your life, you just stop them. You say, you know, I'd, I'd like to discuss this with you, but it's I really don't have the time. And what will happen is that negative person, that negative energy will go somewhere else. Because it has to go someplace, and it will always go where it's welcome, where there's other negative energy, other drama. And, you know, that's just time-consuming. That's what sucks the life out of people, is all of this expended energy and time on things that are not in your best interest. That's the power of, of realizing the truth in your life. You automatically see the truth of the situation so you automatically recognize the untruth or the lie or the fabrication. The choice then becomes which path are you going to walk? Go, going back a little bit when I was asked about, you know, finding the balance and everything. And you said it wasn't until your 50s or so. And, you know, and you just talking about <clears throat> spiritual grounding and spiritual growth. I mean, was that also when you became spiritually grounded or have you always been spiritually grounded throughout your whole life? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, let me back up for a minute. Just, you know, it just happened to me in my 50s. Okay. But that's why, that's why I write now so that, you know, hopefully people who read my work will find it before they hit 50. Gosh. Right. If you, can, if you can get it at 20, think how many more good years of life you've got rather than the, the next 30 struggling to get to that place. So that's the purpose of the writing is to share, you know, what I now know from a life of experience. And my life, the first half of my life was pretty terrible. You know, it's not like, wow, I came out of the womb and everything's great. Um, just like everybody else, I struggled. You know, I've been homeless. I've been mm. broke. I've been successful. I've been in jail. I've been where a lot of people have been and still are. So that's why I write, so that people will be able to see there's a light at the end of the tunnel. I get that. And if I make some different choices and the story, this is what the story does. The story 
no matter what the story is, the protagonist or the situation, all of the stories have a theme and have something that every reader can identify with in a particular story, because the stories are about life, you know, uh, love, hate, success, failure, rejection, just all the things that we go through. Yeah. One of the stories, you know, is about that lesson of life. And so the, the idea is you can read the story and identify with the story and the theme and the protagonist or the antagonist in the story then it gives you that opportunity for self-reflection. Gee, I don't have to be in this place of self-delusion. You know, I can go to a different place. And so the more stories you read, the more information you gather about yourself. None of my stories are about me. They're about the things and the people and the situations that I see and hear in daily life. I, I just have, you know, a, a skill or a talent to put that into a story scenario for others to identify with um most of my stories i get you know when i'm sitting in a coffee shop or or somewhere where i'm around people and if you sit somewhere and you sit stuck or shocked still everyone around you will just kind of see you as part of the background as long as you don't move and they'll continue you know with their story that they're discussing with whomever and you sort of eavesdrop on what they're saying, you know, verbal and nonverbal communication by people tells us a lot about what's going on in their lives because yeah. they self-reveal. So that's where most of my ideas for stories come from, is watching what people are doing and talking about. And that triggers for me, you know, a scenario or a situation that I can put in a story. So the stories are about real life people in real life situations with real life emotions and i know that every reader will identify with one or more stories as they read you know through one of the books and yeah. so that's the purpose yeah to go back to your question i was raised in a christian i'll say it's christian uh, we were oce occasionally christmas and easter ah yeah. okay i know how that goes i was raised as a christian but i didn't know anything about christianity i, I knew the fundamentals you know father son holy ghost that's as far as it went for me. But I always had a craving to know more, but I, I didn't act upon it. So the first, you know, 40 years of my life, I was a scoundrel. I mean, I was real. I spent 15 years in corporate America being very, very successful. And along the way, I lost everything. Mm. You know, um, after that, I became a, a small business entrepreneur in five different ventures, very successful, but I lost you know, a lot of things in those, but I started to learn and I started to realize, you know, am I the person when I get up in the morning and look in the mirror, is this the person that I want to be? Well, mm -hmm. for many of those years, you know, I used to walk out the door and put on my mask. And the person that I was presenting to the world was not the person who was living inside. I see. And so coming to that realization, I knew I had to change my life. So at midlife, you know, I, I decided I want to go back and learn. I wanted to get on a spiritual path. And I had I had tried mysticism and Eastern religions and different philosophies. And I spent about seven years in that place, you know, learning about everything else. And what I learned was fundamentally, it's about the tr truth. And the truth brought me back to Jesus Christ. 
So that's when I started my spiritual walk as a, you know, quote, unquote, born again Christian. Well, I was kicked out of four churches along the way. And so, you know, I don't go to church, but I live my life daily trying to put God first in my life and treat others the way I want to be treated. You know, that's the fundamental of every religion. And certainly the fundamental of Christianity in those two things, love God first and most and treat your neighbor the way you want to be treated. You no, know, the golden rule. Everything else in the Bible and the Quran and the Vedas, everything revolves on that pivotal two things. Have a relationship with God, whoever your God may be, and treat other people the way you want to be treated. And if you live your life that way, your spirit will guide you into the place of truth. And when you're in that place of truth, then you automatically recognize the lies and the falsehoods. So, you know, that was my experience. But at midlife, I knew I needed to make a change, so I did. But I knew I had to become spiritually grounded in order to do that. So that's what prompted me to go back to school, you know, and get a master's in theology. And along that journey of another degree, uh, I got deeper into religion and philosophy and, for me, spirituality. And that's what prompted me to write my first book. And I've been I've been on that path now for, you know, I spent 35 years on the world's path and had nothing to show for it except misery and the people that I hurt. Mm. I, and I spent, you know, 15 years on the spiritual path until the light shone and I finally got it. And I've spent the last 25 years walking that path and, you know, have having no, no negativity in my life because I refuse to allow it to come into my life. Um, I, I love God and I treat others the way I want to be treated. And for me, it works. Yeah. And so that was my spiritual journey. Um, I would never go back, back. You know, I have more now than I ever had when I was in the world and of the world. But I learned a lot in that place. I learned who I didn't want to be the rest of my life. Yeah, that's one of the things, you know, I've said on here before, like when it comes talking about spirituality and religion, where there's a lot of different views on that stuff, obviously. And and it seems like all, you know, every type of religion all usually boils down to one, the same thing. It's like basically just be a good person in some fashion, right? Just that. You know, like you're talking about, be good to your neighbor, treat others how you want to be treated, you know, honor your father and father. And But it seems like most religions come down to this fact of being an overall good person in some fashion and that it doesn't exactly need to be like directly how it states in the book or whatever you're reading right there. Just because like you were just talking about, you know, being younger, you know, OCE only occasionally Christmas and Easter. I mean, some people, because I was like that growing up, you know, we would quote unquote go to school or go to church on those days only. And I remember always thinking, just, well, what happens on the other days? You know, why are we only go? We only supposed to go here because that's the society tells us to. That's the cultural narrative or whatever you want to say. But I just remember that always hearing that, you know, basically the Ten Commandments and just be good to people and stuff. And I was like, wait, what? what, what Okay, this is good. Like, we don't have to, I don't necessarily need to go to church just because I'll just be a good person and help people out when I can and all this good stuff. And 
that it just kind of occurred to me that, you know, if people want to pray, you don't have to go to church to pray. You can pray anywhere and stuff like that. And just, you know, and other people who would on the other side of that, other people would get pretty upset, you know, saying things like that, that, oh, you know, you're supposed to be in church every Sunday and you're always supposed to, you know, even Wednesday night service and pray before every meal and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, it seems like everyone has their own version, you know? <laughs> well, first of all, you know, religions are um, man's interpretation of a relationship with God. Now, don't get me wrong. I always encourage people, go where you're fed, right? Spiritually fed. If that's the church, go there. If that's the mosque, go there. If that's the temple, go there. If it's in your backyard to a bunch of rocks, Go there. <laughs> Wherever you find God, that's where you need to worship God. So for those people, you know, who are on that path, good. As long as you're being spiritually fed, then go there. But my caveat to that is, if that's what your God tells you to do, and that's who your God is, then live your life that way. Don't go to church on Sunday and go through all the motions and then Monday morning go back to being the scoundrel and the rascal exactly. that you are in the world. You know, pick your battle. But if you're going to believe in God and be with God, then do what God would have you do. You know, respond the way God would respond in any situation. Um, you know, church is man-made entity. Um, it's in it for two things. Money. And to make more converts. Um, but that's, you know, when you bring man into it, no matter what it is, there's a good chance that it's going to be bastardized or manipulated or morphed for the things of this world. Number one, money. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Matthew got, uh, Matthew says you can't serve two masters. You're going to love one or love the other. You can't serve both God and money. We have to make a living, right? You've got to survive. You've got to have an income in order to have and get the things of this world that you need to survive. But if if that's the only thing that motivates you by that time you take your last breath, you're going to be sorely disappointed in the outcome. You know, people ask me, what's the most important part of everything you teach? Chris, here's what it is. Look, when you come into this world, you have a God-given spirit living within your soul, inside your body, right? Your mind, body, soul, and spirit. That spirit, because it is from God, innately and automatically gives you a sense in your consciousness and your subconscious of right and wrong, right? Every child about the age of two learns what the word no means. Mm -hmm. And that word comes to relate to punishment, right? Of course. If you do what's right, you get a blessing or you get a reward. If you do what's wrong, you get punished. And that's what we all learn as we grow in our society. Well, but funny thing is, our whole legal system is also built on right and wrong. Correct. Uh-oh. So right and wrong as a concept begins to be 
taken as an action of reward or punishment, not right or wrong. <clears throat> so as we grow and as we go through our lives, every situation we find ourselves in, we have to decide, is what I'm going to do, is the outcome going to be right or wrong? And what that really means is, am I going to be rewarded or punished for my action? And because that's where we're at, and that's our focus, right and wrong, reward and punishment, everything we do, our actions and our responses, because we believe it's all about me, and I'm in control of my life, and what's good for me is the only thing that's important, we continue on this path of right, wrong, reward, and punishment. And we struggle. You know, life is not meant to be easy. Life is meant to be a struggle so that we have to learn how to make better choices. So when you get your spirit activated, again, for the Christian, with a newfound relationship with Jesus Christ, you get to God through Christ as a Christian, and you now have his spirit living within you, and you discover truth and untruth, you start to realize that every action is actually, whether it's moral and ethical or immoral and unethical. And this is where the divide takes place. If, if I have a choice before me, and I'm going to make a decision. It's not, it's no longer because I have the Spirit of Christ actively within me. It's no longer about what's right and wrong or reward and punishment for me. It's about what's morally or ethically the thing to do. Yeah. Because once you're in that place of spirit and truth, you start to understand that it's no longer just about me, it's about me and my family. It's about me and my neighbors. It's about me and my community. And so when I start to make moral and ethical decisions, they not only affect me, but they affect my family, my children, my spouse, my partner, my business, my community, my neighborhood. And <clears throat> the world we live in now, I don't care what endeavor or industry you look in or look at, all you find is lying, cheating, and stealing. Oh, yeah. From the highest levels of government and corporate, you know, wealth to the lowest menial task there is. Because people don't want to make the moral and ethical choice. They only want to make the choice that's in it for them, that brings them the fame and the fortune that they crave. And that's why we live in the world we live in, in the state it's in today. With, that's my belief, when you start to make moral and ethical choices, what happens is you're making the choice that God would have you make as creator and as a loving parent. And this is why God blesses obedience to his word, because just like a loving parent, each of us as loving parent want only what's best for our children. Sure. And when our children step out of line, we don't punish them. We try and correct them because we know the consequence of their choice is not in their best interest. 
you know, every one of us is, we're like little Pinocchios, right? We get, we see the glitter and the glamour of the world and we leave our home and we go off to strike our fortune in the world. And we soon discover as Pinocchio did, mm. it's a tough world out there, right? Yes. We are all prodigal sons and daughters. We all leave home from a loving parent who only wants what's best for us. He doesn't want us to fail. He wants us to succeed. But he wants us to succeed by being morally and ethically correct in our behavior. And when we make moral and ethical choices, the negativity and the harshness of the world no longer becomes part of our life because we're avoiding the things that are not in our best interest. And when we behave morally and ethically, you know, God smiles. He's a happy parent. So he provides for us. Sometimes we see it as a blessing, and sometimes we don't see it. But we see it in the small and the large parts of our life. And the further down that path we go towards him, the more we see him active in our lives as a loving parent. And the more he continues to protect us and bless us. And that only reinforces that I'm on the right path because my life is becoming easier, healthier, and more blessed. The problem is you can't see that until you walk that path. Mm. And that's that's the challenge of life. You know, are you going to risk the invisible, the unknown for a promise? Or are you going to stay on the path you're on right now, which you already know is filled with uncomfortable consequences and misery and costs, but you're afraid to make that jump. You're afraid to pull that trigger. You're afraid to try something different even though where you're at now is uncomfortable and full of misery and full of struggle. And that's a personal choice, you know, and we all have people in our lives who refuse to go there, who refuse to even consider the possibility that having a relationship with God, with something greater and outside of myself would be better for me. You know, the thing about being out on that path is you soon find out that you aren't in control of your life. And you never would. You never will be. You never were. Why? You continue to make choices that are not in your best interest. You continue to suffer consequences that are not in your best interest. Mm. But it, it's, you know, it's hard to convince people. Again, that's the purpose of my books is to help you consider that choice. You don't have to be converted. You don't have to, you know, go to church every day. You don't have to make a choice, but you have to consider your options. And most people don't want to consider their options. They think they're stuck, like That's we true. talked at the very first the, the episode. They think they're stuck in that place, and they have to do that battle every day. Mm -hmm. Well, the truth is you're only battling yourself. You know, you're the one making the choices. You're the one experiencing or suffering the consequences. So you're in a fight for yourself, by yourself, 
because of yourself. And, you know, the world's purpose is to convince us to stay there, to struggle. That's the purpose of this life in this world, to show us that we have a choice. But the prince of this world, the father of lies, the devil, Satan, his desire and his design, because he knows the end of the story, just like Christ does, just like God the Father does. He knows where he's going to end up. But because his original sin was wanting to be like God, to be as God, oh, yes. his whole job here is to take as many souls and as many unbelievers and non-believers with him into the next life, whatever that may look like, to worship him as God. And that's the choice we have to make. Every one of us, you know, the, the power and the love of God is so great, he never demands anything of us. He gives us free will to make choices in our lives that we choose to make based on what we think is best for us. He never forces himself upon us. He never coerces us to believe. He never tries to convince us to believe. He never tries us to convert us to believe. But before we take our last breath, he does demand one thing. We have to decide, are we going to believe that he exists and that he came into this life to pay the price for all of us? Or are we going to turn his back on that offer and choose the other path? Mm. And all I can tell you after 75 years is, when you make that choice, your life will change. My query to you is, will you just consider it? If it doesn't work for you, okay, go back to whatever you're doing and however you're living. But if it does work for you, then continue on that path a little further and a little further and a little further. And the closer you come to him, the more you'll become like him. And the more you become like him, how do we know what God would want us to do? Simple. Jesus Christ came in human form to show us and to guide us and to teach us. His thoughts, his words, and his deeds explain to us how to respond in every situation. You mentioned it before. Ten commandments. Mm -hmm. You know, the first five are about your relationship with God. The second five are about your relationship with other people. Sure. The first five are the do's and the last five are the don'ts. There you go. You know, had God wanted us to know more or have more rules and regulations, he would have given them to us. If you look at the Ten Commandments, and you can go to Exodus 20 in the Bible and see them, if you look at those ten things, those ten guidelines for living your life, I challenge you to come up with a single instance in your life that does not apply to one of those 10. Mm -hmm. There's nothing you can do or say or think that's not covered by those 10. Sure. So that's all you need is those 10. Now, if you're not interested in those 10, here's the two that Christ gave us that sums up those 10. Matthew 20, uh, 22, 37. Love God first and most, treat your neighbor as yourself. 
If you will do those two things, your life will change. It's that simple. I like that, Branch. And I think it's a good way to take this podcast home right there on that. Um, if if people want to find you or if you want to plug your books or just your podcast or anything in general, feel free to do that. Thank you, Chris. I really appreciate it. Simple. Uh, all my books, all my podcasts, you know, everything I write, everything I talk about is on my website or on my YouTube channel. It's all under my name. So just Google Branch like a tree. I S like Sam O L E, and that'll give you links to everything. Uh, if you want to correspond, there's a place on my website you can make comments or ask questions. Uh, if you want to know more about some of the things Chris and I have been talking about today, uh, do two things go to the website, there's a link there called Podcast. There's some show notes or reminders of the things we just talked about there for you. Uh, in PDF, you can they're free. You just download them and, and read as much as you want. My second request is if you liked what we we're talking about today, do me a favor. Go to the platform you're hearing this on. Give Chris a rating and a great review so he can continue doing what he's doing. Thanks for that, Branch. And thank you for talking with me. And it was really good. I appreciate you being here and very motivating, very inspiring. And I appreciate everything you said. So Cool. Anytime, brother. Just let me know. Sounds good. All right. We're out of here, folks. See you.